Gun, Maverick, something like that. You know, all it's quite a ride. The other thing that stood out was all their call names. You know, the the original call names are there. uh, Their nicknames, uh, Iceman and Goose and Maverick. But there's some new ones, uh, Rooster and Hangman and Phoenix and Payback. These are scary names. They're tough. These. F-18 fighter pilots. You know, they're not the only ones who have nicknames for their team. You know, if you listen to baseball players being interviewed and they're talking about their teammates, they will use their teammates' nickname. It's just, they just have nicknames for everybody on the team. When my daughter played softball, they got to choose a nickname for their team. And it was always usually based on the color of their team. The Burgundy Blasters or... The other one was uh, deal with the teal. And they would charge out there, and they would send tremors of fear in their opponent as they were coming out in their little bow and their head, deal with the teal, deal with it. Wow, it was tough. Nicknames. Maybe you have a nickname. Some we like, some others not so much. Often a nickname is assigned to us. It's not something we get to choose. Um, Or, you know, it's a shortened version of our names, like Sal instead of Sally, or or Rosie instead of Rosemary, or Terry instead of Terrence. My grandfather was Eston Julius. He wisely went by E.J. Other times, nicknames come from character traits. Churchill he was given name, uh, a word bulldog from his enemies. We're given nicknames for the most part. You can't pick one yourself. And this was proven scientifically on the show Seinfeld. When, jo- uh, when George, he wanted to be known as a tough guy, T-Bone, at the office, but he didn't get that. He got the crazy little bear, Coco. Coco the bear stuck. He didn't like that. Poor George. Jesus handed out nicknames to those closest to him, some of them you know. Before American actor Dwayne Johnson started using The Rock, we know who The Rock was, Peter. Peter was The Rock. Jesus says, I will build my church. That one stuck. James and John, they were known as sons of thunder. We're not totally sure exactly why. Maybe it was their fierce loyalty to Jesus. At one point when Jesus was rejected through a Samaritan village, they, out of their love, uh, said, Jesus, why don't we call down fire and just turn this little village into ashes? Likewise, the early church kept up the tradition of giving out nicknames. And on occasion, Luke records a nickname that was given out. It happened at the early church when they were just starting to form. They were a tight-knit group, and they were sharing all things in common. And Luke reminds us again that they had these things. They started pooling their resources together to help launch this church that God had called them into. And here is it described in Acts chapter 4, you can follow along in your own personal Bible, or there's a sheet of paper in your bulletin. There's one side of the scripture, the other side is some, an area for notes that will also appear on the screen behind me. All the believers were in, one in heart and mind. No one claimed that 
any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or, or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to everyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Often, this is referred to by those who know about these things as the Jerusalem experiment. The church was figuring out what this life with God in community looked like. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. Holding all things in common, they shared so that no one would go without, no one was needy, no one was homeless among them. The generosity was contagious. From time to time, as it says, people sold parcels of land, assets that they had to support one another, to support the church. You know, we should not press this that no one claimed their possessions as their own to mean that the believers literally um, renounced private ownership. Rather, they had readily regarded their others' needs as their own in heart and in faith, and they cultivated a, an attitude of generosity that served their brothers and sisters in need. In many ways, we strive to do that here at Tribuco Presbyterian Church. One of our core values is compassionate service, and so we pour in our energy, imagination, and love to help those in need. When our sister church, the Taiwanese, Irvine Taiwanese Presbyterian Church, suffered a, a great tragedy, a, a loss, a fatal shooting, as they celebrated a lunch together at Geneva Presbyterian Church in Laguna Woods, we sent our prayers, our grace, and our money to help them. Moreover, our deacons share compassion and grace and help lift those up with meals and money regarding others' needs as their own. You and I give our money to ministry here that we're called into to support our mission partnerships, our important ministry programs to support the mission that we're all called into, inviting all people to build an active relationship with Jesus Christ. God's grace is at work in powerful ways in and through our community of faith, dear friends. And it's unique in the early church, specifically in this passage I just read, that through this time, through their sharing, one person stands out, and his name is Joseph, but he earns the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. I wonder this week how Joseph, this Levite from Cyprus, got this name, nickname Barnabas, son of encouragement. Was it because he sold a piece of land and then he gave it to the apostles? I don't know if that's it. If that was it, they would say son of generosity. Something else is going on here. Others were being generous. So why encouragement? 
Whatever he did, the son of encouragement stuck, and this wealthy landowner from Cyprus became Barnabas. It turns out, in our reading, that's the first time Barnabas is mentioned. The rest of the New Testament, Barnabas' name appears 47 more times. That's a lot. I studied those 47 times this week. Try to find out why he was called Barnabas. And one thing came, one theme came to the surface each time. Barnabas, son of encouragement, he took risks for people in encouraging them. He took risks for people who found themselves in a tight spot. And he came alongside and he encouraged them. And two in particular. The first one we encounter is the risk of encouragement and with Barnabas is that in Acts chapter 9 you see there was a guy named Saul who had a miraculous encounter with Jesus this guy Saul was on his way to arrest Christians to persecute them to disrupt their fellowship and on his way Jesus appears to him I have a painting here that I found by Caravaggio one of my favorite artists and there's Saul lying on the ground. You can see his, even the horse has his hoof up. He's afraid of Saul. Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't that fascinating when the church is being persecuted? It's really Jesus. We're the body of Christ, dear friends. The body of Christ, and when the church is under persecution, it's as if Jesus himself is being persecuted. That's amazing. It's powerful. Years later, the Apostle Paul would reflect on his life before encountering Christ. He wrote to the early church describing his life before he met Jesus and that he poured all of his energy and his imagination into terrorizing the early church and Christians. Saul stood as a watched over the first martyr, Stephen. When Stephen was stoned to death, there was Saul holding the cloaks of those who were throwing the stones, and he was approving of the whole thing. Paul tells us later in his letters in the early church that he breathed threats of murder. He was given authority to track down believers, drag them back to Jerusalem, and throw them into jail. Now, after Saul's conversion... He makes his way back to Jerusalem. And when he arrives, he's a different man, but no one really believes it. The other apostles don't want to have anything to do with this guy. People keep clear of him. They're not convinced, except one person was convinced, and it was Barnabas. And Barnabas took Saul under his arm, under his wing, encouraged him walked with him, strengthened him, gave him courage. And Paul and Barnabas went out together on various mission trips. They spent, they traveled over 10,000 miles together, planting churches throughout Asia Minor. And without a doubt, Paul, throughout this time, would need encouragement all along the way. He really wrestled with his former life. It haunted him. He writes about it in the early church letters. I can imagine... Apostle Paul, when things looked grim, when he was jailed, beaten, or shipwrecked, all along there's Barnabas encouraging him, 
son of encouragement, supporting Paul through the thick and thin. After Paul and Barnabas went on a mission, they spent time to, together, they went on a mission trip and up in Antioch, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they decided to take a guy named John Mark with them on their mission trip. This is the second person that Barnabas comes along and risks encouragement with. You see, along the way, Luke describes, Mark signed up for this mission trip with Paul and Barnabas. It was going to be difficult. This young man was full of optimism. They even gave him the nickname Helper. They would travel 1,400 miles, planting churches all along the way. They experienced opposition, so much so that Paul, at one point, was stoned and left for dead outside the city of Lystra. However, not long into the trek, with Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, John Mark gets homesick. He gets afraid, and he returns to Jerusalem to live with his mom. Paul, who has seemed to have taken it personally, and out of stubbornness, writes this kid off. He's dead to me. Paul, as great as he would, was, was, he could be very mean and unforgiving. And when it came time to go on the second mission trip, Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them. Paul will have nothing to do with it. Vehemently opposed. It drove a... It spiked between this relationship. Barnabas would not betray his, his name, his nickname. He would risk encouragement for Mark. Paul only saw a deserter. John Mark saw a loyal helper. It's ironic. Barnabas is the one who helped Paul out, stood beside Paul in the thick and thin. Now John Mark wants to be with, wants to come on the next missionary journey. Barnabas wants to bring him along, but Paul will have nothing to do with it. So Paul and Barnabas split off and they go their separate ways. Later, Paul would write about how he was in error when he referred to, and then he refers to John Mark in one of his letters as a fellow prisoner. They seem to have mended their ways. Paul calls John Mark, calls upon him to join him in ministry. Eventually, this John Mark will be the one, as many believers believe, or many believe that he was the one who was there with Peter in prison in Rome. And as Peter retold the story of being in ministry with Jesus, as being a disciple, John Mark wrote it all down. And now we have it in our Bible gospel according to Mark. Thank God for Barnabas encouraging Mark, right? Two lives transformed through the risk of encouragement. Friends, when we take risks of encouragement, it's like we're giving courage to somebody to provide people with strength to look ahead, move forward, see the future, reach for the next goal. The risk of encouragement transforms people's lives. Let me ask you this. Has anybody ever encouraged you, taken the risk of encouragement in your life? Maybe in your, your Christian life? I've told you before that somebody took a risk of encouragement in my life. My baseball team mates 
they had a nickname for me. Rather than say McKeg, they said Kegger. Now, I'm not going to go into the reasons why they called me that. And by the way, that stays here. I don't want you to tell your friends or refer to your pastor as Kegger. My friend Melanie, through the power of God's grace, took the risk of encouragement and invited me, Kegger, to her youth group. Not for the beer. And I was welcomed. I was embraced. I had new friends. My life from that moment on was different and changed because Melanie took the risk of encouragement and invited me in. Let me ask you this. Where have you received the risk of encouragement in your life where someone come alongside you and welcomed you, encouraged you, and changed your life? Is there someone in your life that you can encourage? Is there someone that needs you to risk the encouragement in their life to bring transformation? Jesus modeled this risk of encouragement when he called his first disciples. You know, they all had their baggage. They all had their deal. They all had their own stuff. And all of this stuff would surface throughout those three years of ministry. Whenever they were under stress, their worst selves would come out at the very point of denying Jesus and abandoning Jesus, their Savior. But that did not hinder Jesus taking the risk of encouragement all the way to the cross, all the way to the grave for his disciples, for his church, for you and me. In many ways, that's what this table represents. The risk of encouragement where Jesus gathered his disciples together on that last evening, he knew he was going to be betrayed, and yet he washed all their feet, looking at them in the eyes, telling them how much he loved them and cared for them. And then as they reclined at the table, he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you, Whenever you eat of this, remember me. Friends, if you miss the elements coming in, you can go right there on the entryway and grab 